0: to another episode of LEO Radio. I'm Jim Harris.
1: Morning, I'm Steve Henry. I'm Maggie Russell.
0: Larissa and Jason Felson And today, this group, composed of a lot of generations, that's what we're going to be talking about. It's come up at almost every supervisor class, whether we do our first line supervisor class or our middle manager class. It comes up at our road supervisor classes, uh, even in our promotional classes. The differences between the the generations that we have of officers, Uh, whether it's in leadership where you're a supervisor and you're leading a generational difference, or, um, and we have Maggie. Maggie is uh, going to give us that perspective from a dispatcher's point of view because she's had the uh, opportunity to actually be the dispatcher on the other side of the radio for multiple generations of officers, and she'll be able to give that perspective. But I want to kick it off to Jay, and the reason I'm kicking it off to Jason is because we have a program, a class uh, developed by Jason and, and some others of the, of the organization that specifically discusses these generational differences. So, uh, Jay, why don't you give us a, a quick overview? So uh, I'm a recently promoted
2: sergeant, so it was kind of a, a unique situation to be thrust into supervision and leadership. Uh, as a decently newish officer, I have seven and a half years on, so obviously nothing in the the grand scheme of you know the career. I'm 33 years old, so I'm technically a, a millennial. I'm a, a Gen Yer. Uh, I, I don't necessarily like to put a generational letter or you know group on myself because I think I. I'm one of those odd individuals where most supervisors need to be, where I can kind of assimilate with most of the generations. And there is a huge gap in
0: between. All right. So um, why don't we quickly, I just want to talk about that because you brought up the fact of what generation you are. Um, just so kind of everybody can fit in and, and try to understand where they fit in in the category. Can you give us an overview of those? Sure. So uh there's distinct
2: you know, years of being born that automatically puts you into those things. Um, so I know there's a lot of individuals that are, are Gen X. And those individuals, I believe it was 1984 and before. Um, and then, of course, there's there's the baby boomers. So that's the Gen X Xers, 72 to 84. And then 84 to 1995 are the Gen Yers. That's what I fall into. I was born in 89. And then there's the Gen Zers, who are these new professionals that are coming into the career field. And they're like ninety five or ninety six onward, uh, so it's just lumped basically based on when you were born. But obviously, everybody's got their own unique uh, lifestyles and perspectives that you could kind of cross those gaps based on your your values.
0: And and that's true because you see, uh, no matter what management book we we utilize for our promotional courses or whatever management book we utilize for uh, the trainings that we do, every management book has these generational categories, and they all differ a little bit from the, the years that they have. Um, and now you identified yourself as a Gen, which one? Why? You're a Gen Y. technically a millennial, yeah. Okay, and that's, that's what I wanted to ask you, because yeah. that's the biggest thing we talk about now is millennials, millennials. Um, that's why I wanted to you to clarify, what are the actual
2: millennials? So millennials are technically, I think, 1985 up until the middle of the 90s. Those individuals, they always have a negative connotation to them for some reason. I don't I don't know. I work with some fine millennials, but I think again, it's you can't just put a like a cast on them based on their age and what their group is, but they're generally seen as people that, you know, have a lot of questions. Sometimes they're seen as lazy, but I would consider it more as like uh they do strategized work. They think that their work's important and their time is important, and they value their time. I guess in some ways I would lump into that, but a lot of people throw that name around
0: kind of negatively, I think. So I want to bounce it over to Steve because Steve, when uh, Phil and I came into the job, Steve was the generation before us, and he was becoming a a leader when we were just getting on the job. Steve, when we – I say we, I say, uh, you know, the Phil, myself, when we were coming into the job, what were the seasoned guys saying about us? Well, you have to realize that
1: law enforcement has been traditionally built from the um, seeds of the military, and pretty much we recruited from the military, and that was pretty much our target audience for recruiting up to the years. It wasn't until these, you know, After the Vietnam War, there was still a lot of police officers going into law enforcement. So you guys were coming in just pretty much as change agents at that point. You still had the paramilitary background to understand the way the academies were run. You know, you would grab the, and unfortunately it still is happening today, is the academies are being run at such a level, at a paramilitary level, with these guys that don't understand, um, that our recruits don't operate, in that venue anymore, that sir, no sir. We had the conversation offline about um, when you guys came in, it was still easy to tell Jimmy that, and and Jimmy worked for me, is that you would have to go stand at an intersection for three hours in direct traffic. Um, And guys would do that. Today, you have to explain that. And I think um, we're seeing more and more of the officers having to understand why they have to do it. And the supervisors having the ability to understand that they're going to be questioned. Unlike when I was on a job is, Hey kid, um, go out there and do it. And that was pretty much what you were told to do. And when I became a supervisor, I expected the officers that worked for me to do the exact same thing. An order was an order. You followed the order. If you didn't follow the order, uh, there was consequences to that.
0: Now, as, as listening to that, like I remember, uh, the, the, Older generation before me um, now aside from being a law enforcement, I was also part of a, a volunteer fire company and i even re i remember this more distinctly with the fire department because they were more vocal the uh how the older older guys didn't like us younger guys coming in uh but I do remember that like you know our bosses would tell us to do something I wanted to know why why do I have to do this but i never i never questioned it or verbalized it um then The generation below me is, um, I I would explain more of the why to them. And now I think the now generation, the generation that that is coming into the the field now, they just expect you to always tell them why. And sometimes that's not the case. Kind of flows into... The world today, does not
1: When we talk about procedural justice and constitutional policing, all the things that are buzzwords with uh, law enforcement today, you, you no longer walk up to a car and say, give me your license, registration, insurance. And if somebody starts talking back to you, you say, hey, give me your license, registration, insurance. That can't take place anymore. Now, officers have to explain why that um, contact is being made, justify why they're having that interaction with that person. And, and it's kind of more acceptable I believe, today where, you know, and I think law enforcement is changing at the speed of technology right now. It's really changing that hard and that fast. And, uh, like, issues like Jason's are bringing up really have to be coming to the forefront because I think where where we're failing at is we all realize it has to change, and we're doing it at the uh, in-service level of supervisors, but we're still not doing it at the academy level and the field training officer level. I think that's the greatest
0: failure with this. So I want to kick it over to uh, Maggie, because what we're talking about is what, what Steve had started going into is, you know, telling the officers what to do, they would just do it. And Maggie, you actually tell officers what to do every day. So, you know, you're on the other side of the radio as a dispatcher. What kind of generational differences have you seen with the actual dispatch of officers at different levels?
3: Um, On our end, I feel like, first of all, we're obviously not supervisors, like we're telling them what to do, but I'm not their boss. So I'm sitting there and I'm saying, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. And going back to the questioning of everything, a lot of times when I'm doing it, there's not time to answer that question. It's just do it for now and we'll figure it out later. and. A lot of these newer guys and girls that are coming on, I mean, I could be their mother. So, you know, on the opposite end of that, there's the respect level, too. Well, you know, I might not be your boss. I might not be somebody of authority to you. I've been here a while, and I'm not an officer, but I've seen it, and I've been through it. So, instead of questioning me, I'll explain it to you later. Can you just do what I'm asking you to do now? And I can imagine on the road, that's the same thing, but now, you know, you're in front of the public. You can't. Go after them and be like, you just need to do what I'm telling you to do. And it's, I mean, I've been through, I think I've been through at least two generations of officers as far as age wise goes, and it has gotten progressively more difficult to justify why I'm asking them to do things or make them do the things that need to be done in that quick fashion before I have to explain it all to them,
0: if that makes sense. I'll, I'll kick it back over to Jay. So
2: what's your theory on this? Coming from uh, an agency where we just uh, specifically started county dispatch about two years ago, um, the dispatch issues are apparent exactly what she was just talking about. Um, there's younger individuals that take almost these calls that are getting dispatched to them, which obviously have to be answered. They almost take them personally and they just don't quite understand that this is uh, procedurally and, and policy and, you know, there's a reasoning why we're doing the things that we're doing, why these dispatchers are, are sending us to these types of things, but they're not getting the why. I mean, there's no opportunity to have that open air where there's just an explanation. So you're seeing all these officers um, just kind of sometimes being non respondent or being adversarial towards dispatch, and then the supervisor has to contact them and kind of describe why, but sometimes. There's precious time in between, and obviously there's there's time constraints
0: on some of these calls, so it's tough. And that that moves us into the the supervision aspect, which is really what you're you were starting with with the leadership and supervision of this next generation. You have it at a I don't want to say a disadvantage, but you have older officers who are nearing retirement, or maybe they have retired and have. Transition to another agency, and now they're being supervised by you. This next generation is younger officers. What are the issues that you have? And I'm not saying you with your agency. I'm saying in general. What are the issues that a newer supervisor has with the supervision of these older individuals? So I think it's it's kind of a crazy juxtaposition, and I,
2: I say that for this reason. So that older generation. Um, as Steve had said, kind of has that paramilitary mentality, um, where that respect was almost automatically given based on rank, um, and some people would rest on that. So as a younger supervisor now, I feel like every day, I have to gain the respect of my rank almost daily, especially with those older officers. So those older officers, they they have to be um, kind of dealt with and spoken to and and worked alongside in a different way than the younger officers, because the younger officers, they still kind of see your rank as a rank, especially if they've been hired and you've already had that rank. They do still get that. But those older officers, especially if they transitioned from another agency, they they specifically, you know, they have more life experience than that than younger supervisor does. They have more work experience, certainly. So they're going to question the tactics or the decisions that you make far more and in a different way. Like, sure, the younger generation is going to question it because they want to know why. But that older generation is going to have certainly some two cents to put in uh, as to why they
0: don't believe that's the right answer. All right. So I'm going to jump it over to Phil because, uh, Phil, in your capacity, actually just before you retired, you were in – You were one of the main people, one of the main players to promote people like Jason. Um, So, here we are. Our generation is promoting these younger supervisors. We know that there's generational differences. So, what are some of the things that you told or you explained to your supervisors, your newer supervisors? What are some of the things we can share with the new supervisors about how they should be handling this generational difference
4: with the older officers? So just just to start, uh Maggie had said that she saw two generations, and i I kind of chuckled because that's what I had thought originally but it's it's really four generations um we had we had the boomers when we were the old folks when we got in were the senior guys we're Gen X uh, the millennials are now the thirty year olds they're not the kids anymore, and we're starting to see these Gen Z come in and uh At 18, 19, 20 years old, so you know you're seeing four generations within one agency, and it's it's difficult. Um, As far as promotion goes, let's let's go even before that and hiring. Uh, Jim, when you and I got hired, it was it was a a dog eat dog world, and if if you had so much as you know a, a DWI or too many tickets on your background. You were bounced from the background process very quickly. Um, now it's, it's very common to see arrests and other types of charges on, on individuals' backgrounds that, that are overlooked. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying it's something that we, life experiences have changed. And, and we as agencies have to evolve to understand that that's just part of this generation. As far as promotion goes these these folks you know one of the the things I had always explained to these younger younger officers again, like Jason that it's going to be hard you might you know you might become the sergeant or the lieutenant of your field training officer, and that's that's a a very difficult position to be in, but when you think about it, if you transition it to your normal life. Uh, When your parents get older, you have to take care of them. They took care of you while you were growing up. You now are taking care of them. So what's going on in the police department is really almost um, the same as what we're seeing in life. All
0: right. So before we move on, I want to touch upon a point that Phil brought up, because one of the biggest issues we have in law enforcement throughout the country is hiring new people. Now first, I want to jump to Steve. When you were part of hiring the, your next generation, your people, what are some of the things that you did? And on average, how many officers, how many people came out to test to be a cop?
1: Well, we had a pretty large-scale organization, 160 sworn, 150 sworn. I mean, we had several hundred, um, almost four or 500 people test at that point recruiting today is just the opposite. Um, we see the large cities are putting incentive packages out left and right, trying to recruit. And we see even in the lo- uh, smaller agencies, um, uh, especially in the Northeast, uh, even the upper Northeast, you see where these departments are actually um, pretty much paying other um, departments from other agencies, like giving them stipends if you come over and work for us. So it's more of a police recruiting has become a, a business of recruiting as it's when we were, um, over the past the history of policing is like Phil said, you were weeding out people that wanted to be in a new organization. Now it's just the opposite. Now we are trying to obtain these people and basically encourage them to come to us. And I think that's a totally paradigm shift for law enforcement throughout the probably throughout the entire country. Everybody wanted the job. So it's just the opposite.
0: Yeah, I I remember when Phil and I were testing, there there was, I actually remember testing for a bunch of different agencies. Literally, some agencies had anywhere from 800 to 1,200, 1,500 candidates. And they were only going to be taking maybe 10% of those people. So the organizations they didn't have to do a lot of recruitment. They basically just put out, "Hey, we're hiring. Here's the test date," and then people would come. I remember paying application fees. I remember paying fees to take these tests. So today we're seeing, just like Steve is saying, I'm seeing billboards. Change your agency. Come. I was just up in Chicago. I see billboards for our, for agencies in, in Florida, Chicago PD come to us, get out of the cold, and they're offering incentives, money incentives, relocation fees, Uh, we'll move you, we'll give you a bonus. So all of those are now on the table. And that's where I want to jump into, Jay, you are this generation that they're targeting. Are these incentives what your generation wants? How can we better target your generation and the next? So I think the biggest issue, and
2: uh, a lot of times it's not you know, the power of the agency to change that is restricted things such as civil service. So, I know in New Jersey, obviously, civil service, you know, handles quite a few of the agencies and I'm a civil service guy. And civil service blessed me with the ability to be promoted, uh, you know. But this younger generation, including some people within my own, uh, they don't appreciate or don't understand the importance to, like, really better yourself ahead of time. So, what I mean by that is, like you said, paying fees to take these tests, all the scheduling, they they want results quicker. They they just do. And the Civil Service Commission might be the slowest entity around in terms of you take a test and you wait for the results. Then they pull the results. Then it's a crazy interview process, which I'm not taking away from the interview process. It's important uh, to interview properly for, for law enforcement, certainly. But the incentives help, but they're almost not enough. I do sadly believe that a lot of the younger generations are definitely um money motivated, uh, which is odd, especially when they're younger and they haven't really had jobs prior to law enforcement, these eighteen, nineteen year old, you know, I'm not gonna call them kids, but these young adults that are just entering, they're money motivated. They're just trying to set up uh you know, their their lives quickly. They don't want to wait. So they have to continue, these agencies have to continue incentivizing. And they have to actively recruit. The active recruitment, in my mind, uh, we have agencies around us that are doing really, really nice uh, hiring videos. They're putting them on social media. They're utilizing social media in innovative ways. Um, And then they're actively trying to get transfers, just like uh, someone said. I heard they're actively trying to get already trained officers that are young, um, that are motivated, to transfer to their agency by trying to motivate them with incentives,
0: so I you know we could turn this into a recruitment thing all day long because everybody's having an issue with recruitment, but I don't see the numbers I don't see the numbers that we had, and I know that the the social aspect of being an officer today with you know the uh, public support and all that might not be there uh, the uh I just don't see the numbers of officers or numbers of this this next generation wanting to be in this profession. So I I see that being a a big issue.
1: What Jason said with the quick results, that they wanted to be quick results, the aspect of, you know, they want uh, just, you know, just like getting you know, going on their phones and getting the information, they want the information right then and there. And I think they want that same when it comes to the hiring process, it's the training process, and the promotion process. The, the instant gratification of today's workforce, and that's why people are jumping from company to company to company, and quitting while on or what they call it now, uh, uh, quitting while still being employed, or whatever the terminology is. I, it's just something that we have never seen or encountered or could even imagine in the, in the emergency service field, because how can um how can you work that way? And I, I don't I, the, the challenge for a fertile side supervisor is immense. And the middle manager and the upper management to try to mold all these three or four generations like Phil put it uh, very correctly together is just
4: beyond challenging. I think one of the issues that we see totally uh, with this newer generation is they see things uh, through the lens of a phone. Um, I was I was looking at something last night, and there are there are people who have YouTube channels and TikTok accounts that are literally 24, 25 years old that have multiple million dollars just by posting stupid little videos um, these these folks who you know when I when I was coming up my grandfather was a police officer I, I, it was something that I always wanted to do I had a different calling for it uh, and I believe that many of us did but I think that like like Jason said this this newer generation sees the fact of well if I can just record my daily life and make money off of doing that Why why do I want to go out there and be vilified by the the media and potentially sued for having to do my job? I think that that technology part of it plays a huge role in the lack of recruitment. I'm going to call that the Kardashian effect. (laughs) I'm going to coin
0: it the Kardashian effect. You heard it here first, kids. The Kardashian effect. If I film myself and I film what I do in my daily life, I will become famous.
1: But that's a huge point. You just brought that up, and Phil and I went into this at length. We uh, were uh, teaching in uh, New Mexico, and we were speaking of some a sheriff's officer out of Florida that was TikTokking. I think it was TikTok was the, the platform she was using, and she was, you know, was kind of pro pro-job, pro-pro, it was, you know, nothing offensive, um, maybe a little silly, uh, maybe my generation and maybe the generation is below me, immediately below me for law enforcement may have found it kind of unprofessional. But I think our, the younger people in the room found it as this is a great way of communicating to the public what we do and how we're human beings. and. Uh, I don't know, Phil, to touch on what you thought when you guys um, were telling us this, because it was a real, we had a real good debate about it, and there was a lot of different views.
4: So I think I think that really when you look at all of it, it's community outreach. And Steve, I know your generation. I know my generation. Uh, again, I, I consider myself, um, I am Gen X, and, and right there in the middle, but I was raised by um, boomers and and my grandfather, who was um, greatest generation. And, uh, you know, we, we got to know the community by talking, by going out there and, uh, you know, on your break, sitting down with a group of people and having a cup of coffee and having a conversation with them. This generation doesn't communicate that way. Uh, this generation does not pick up a phone and call people, they text people. Um, this generation you know, is very much into typing and texting. So the digital way of communication and that indirect means of communication is the way that they communicate. So this officer who had gotten written up several times for making TikToks while on duty and doing these, these other videos, her defense was, this is my outreach to the community. And and Partially, I can see where she's coming from. That's that's the new way that we need to communicate with our communities, and it's evident with the amount of Facebook pages and TikToks and um, Instagram pages that departments have and run on their own. Um, we have to we have to make that generational shift, and, and I think that departments are kind of scrambling to do it, but they're doing it, and they're, they're some of them are doing it very very well.
3: I think it's not just the instant gratification. It's the um, how to get to the end result fastest, working smarter, not harder. And then on top of that, it's this is a generation that doesn't really like a lot of face-to-face with people. Like they'll do, like you said, the texting. If they're doing a FaceTime video, they can block the video. They don't have to worry about any type of physical interaction with people unless they want physical interaction. And I think that that's a bigger issue, too, with recruitment, because people want to be behind the screen, behind the microphone, behind the phone, and not actually dealing with the public. And I think that's another issue. Well,
0: there's seems to be a lot of issues that we can cover in this one podcast. <laughs> but uh, uh, jumping into that, you're, you're bringing up some good points. So. This whole new generation, they are very videos. They want videos. They want text. They want all that. So how do we supervise them? If I got to counsel you, am I going to make a TikTok video for you? (laughs) Here, here's my TikTok counseling. Um, here's my, uh, my, my, uh, you know, Facebook, not Facebook, Facebook's big uh, with some of generations. You have TikTok and Instagram bigger with others, you know, based on your generation, I'm going to either Facebook you, your counseling notice, or I'll TikTok it to you. So, I'm going to jump it back over to Jay, because how are we leading this next generation? So, I'll start with uh,
2: bringing up something that Phil had said, and he said, I think he said it inadvertently, and I don't think it's a problem, but he said, making their stupid little videos. So, that instantly rung a Rung a bell in my mind because that's the exact generational difference that creates like the instant problem between the slightly older end of their career retired guys and the new guys. Just that, just the ad. For the record.
4: For the record, I'm not saying that the, the videos are stupid. I'm saying <laughs> that they are mindless, complete. and I go down the rabbit hole every night. I'm yes. not gonna lie. And, and so, so, and, when and I, for I, the record, I think Jason just called you old. <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I know Jason called no. Never, never. But, but no, for the record, I was not saying the videos are stupid. I'm saying that when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's it's a stupid thing. It's not it's not stupid in the fact that what they're doing is stupid. It's 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 entertainment, and entertainment in and of itself is sometimes stupid. It's crazy. It's it's it wasn't that what they're doing is stupid. So thank you for calling me out on that. I appreciate that.
2: I just, like I said, if I was a a fresh young guy that really valued making my videos, that would just be a red flag. You know what I mean? Doesn't personally affect me, but I caught me.
4: So anyway. We'll get you your safe space and and your your stress card and we'll be fine. That's what they need. That's what they need. Yeah. But But the big issue. Go ahead. You're right
0: though, Jay, because as a young guy, that's important to you. And if you have Somebody that is training you or looking up to you, even at FTO, and they say some a comment like that, like you know, stop with that stupid video. Well, it's not stupid to you, and that immediately puts a wedge in of trust, you know, a wedge between the trust that I'm and respect I'm supposed to be forming. So words like that do matter, and that's one of the things we talk about in our supervisor classes. Words matter. When you are saying something, understand. That and that's a very good point to bring up, Jay. So yeah, the
2: big thing I think you have to understand what each generation that you're working with or supervising what they value, and that's the hard job. That's that's really the meat of this whole topic for me in regards to supervising these generations. You have to treat every person as an individual, and that's not what law enforcement is really used to doing. That's really the the hardest you know nut to crack. So you have to understand that you're young guy, which. For instance, I have a young guy who literally his side job is streaming on Twitch, which some generations might not even know what that is. But it's literally you play video games and people pay to watch you play video games. They're not playing themselves, which still blows my mind. It's definitely not something that I'm into, but there's a whole, I mean, millions of dollars to be made watching people play video games. So I have to talk to that gentleman completely differently than I would talk to a guy who's got 18, 20 years on. and he doesn't even know necessarily what those video games are. I mean, it, it's crazy to to have to bridge that gap daily when you're just asking someone to complete a task because they might not value that task or understand that task the same way
1: based on their generational differences. And here's and, the problem with that, if I can just add to that, is we're not building widgets. You know, we're not on an assembly line. Um, we, you know, we've been talking for the last 20 minutes about how they communicate and about social media, TikToks, and they can stop it and go and add to it and different. We're sending them out into an environment where they're supposed to be pretty much subject matter experts on de-escalation, crisis management, and keeping people alive and doing it in a way to keep themselves and the public safe. So how do we go about, I understand where, okay, we need to communicate them and make them feel good about themselves and understand how they they perceive the world. But how does this fall into the trainings that we're putting out there now? ICAT training, um, integrated communication assessment and tactics training. That's a national program that's being forced upon. And it's not saying being forced upon. We've been deescalating since the beginning of time in police work. Now it's becoming a formal thing. And I think that's even more of a challenge than just dealing with the individual. It's the paradigm of how are we going to get people that don't, as Maggie said, don't want to communicate face-to-face, would rather text us to go to a civil disturbance, a domestic disturbance, and de-escalate that situation?
0: How do you train them? I I want to jump to that because that's a very good point you're bringing up. We see a tremendous amount of issues right now with problems with officers being able to de-escalate in the field. Now, you can look at, at the history of things and say that it's a bunch of different things, but the officers that we have now, is it possible that it could be from their lack of conflict resolution over the developmental years of their life? They don't know how, to scale down and de-escalate. I'm not saying everyone, Jay. I'm not, you know, not obviously not saying everyone has this issue. But could that be an aspect of why this is occurring and why it's such a national issue of we need this ICAT training, we need de-escalation. For us in our use of force program, we have, you know, the the tactical control transfer technique that we use, but it it could possibly be from a lack of developing their communication skills face to face.
2: I think that's directly true. I think the issue is when you're hiring individuals that are either, you know, fresh out of high school or have no life or work experience, and especially the the youngest generation where that face-to-face contact or communication skills may be lacking, you have to go into those hires understanding that they need to be developed. And I don't know if there's necessarily training out there that's perfect yet. I mean, I I think most of us understand ICAT and ABLE, and I think it's great that um these officers these young officers are getting that and they're actually taking it better than the older officers in my opinion because they're impressionable they're young they're still learning i actually find that the younger officers that i work with daily are better at conflict resolution and uh deconflict or uh, de-escalation than the older officers because that's they've been bred to do that from the beginning it was not a changed behavior um so i think that's a huge thing we just have to understand that the hires going forward and the officers that we're going to be developing just have to be trained, honestly, differently to kind of fit how society is now.
3: I think that and I see that. I see this not just at work, but I see it at home too, because I, I obviously have a, a millennial child or whatever the generation is now. But there's no in between anymore as far as conflict resolution or anything. It's either they're non-confrontational, they want no part of that. And I think that also goes along with the the no physical contact, like face-to-face, or they're too confrontational. There's no in-between when they're like, all right, don't sweat the small stuff. Let's see how we can figure this out without a fight. It's either they, they go right at you or they just want no part of it anymore. And that's my personal opinion from not just work, but from watching it at home, too, where I do have a 21-year-old whose friends have constantly been around, and it's they're either all in or they they're all out. There's no in-between, like, how do we fix this? How do we make this better?
4: I have a a question for you, just because, again, you're you're in the thick of it right now, um, and you were talking about these individuals who are gamers. Do you think that the whole concept of gaming maybe affects mindset on tactics? Have you seen where you have to correct someone's real-life tactics because they might be Reverting to tactics from Call of Duty or something along those lines. And, and again, I, I I didn't see it. I was in an, uh you know an administrative position, so didn't work on the front lines too much with um, Gen Z. But um, I've I've spoken with a couple people, and they've said that you know they had to almost pull them back a little bit from you know going back to our academy days with that Tombstone Courage where. They they kind of think that that third-person shooter, is it was their reality and, and playing games is their reality and they're not rec- – are they not recognizing or do you – and again, I don't know that that's a fact or not. Do you see that?
2: So, I haven't seen it at all. Um, and I, I'm going to say we're a 50-person agency, a 50-man department, and I'd say 23 of them are below the age of 30. Um, So we're pretty young, and we have a young admin too, decently young. So the individuals that do game are definitely some of our most proactive individuals. And that's, we haven't really talked about proactivity and how these individuals actually wind up working when they are trained and they're on the street. But I have not seen a tactical issue. And listen, I'm not a real tactical guy. I'm not going to lie to you. I did play Call of Duty when I was a younger man in college. Um, but of course, never took any of that because I understand that you can't get shot multiple times generally and do pretty well, like you can in Call of Duty. It's it's unrealistic. Um, but no, I haven't seen an individual like that, uh, especially the ones you know that we would think that do game and they they monetized gaming with that, like Twitch and things like that. They're really good officers, and they they separate the two sides of their lives.
4: And that's great to to see and hear because unfortunately you you do see so many going back to the fact of the monetization of social media and everything else that people cannot separate their real life from the digital life. And it's, it's I'm glad to hear that because again, it was something that was something that popped up in this conversation in my head to say, Hey, maybe, maybe something we would have to look at moving forward. And We can really go on.
0: Spiraling on multiple subtopics because this this is like I said this is a hot topic throughout the country. Every class we talk about, um, every class we have, somebody will bring up something about a generational difference. Um, How to how to properly manage it, how to supervise people, how to recruit, how to target um, the pro, how to get them proactive. How um, all all of those things are are on the table for further discussions, but we can't solve the world's problems in one day. So, um, Jay, I know I want to talk real quick. I want to end the program with discussing the class that we have specific for this topic. Uh, can you give us the overview of the class, what people can expect um, for that? Sure. So uh, right now we're calling it
2: Supervising the Gap. Um, I think it's a pretty good title because there is truly a gap uh, between these generations. Uh, I think first and foremost, we need to understand the generations. So obviously, uh, we're going to discuss, you know, from baby boomers all the way down to these Gen Zers, what their general, and obviously we can't put anybody into a a typecast, but what generally that they value, how they generally work, what uh, what makes them tick, what their likes and dislikes are. and then kind of delve into how to individually uh, lead and manage these individuals uh, and how to manage them working, you know, co-working, and intermingling. I think that's the hardest part. You have to understand now that as a middle manager, for, uh, frontline supervisor, as a leader, you can't just uh, set it and forget it. You can't just, you know, throw down rules or throw down requests and have them done across the board the same way. So, the class is really going to be, uh you know, bridging that gap between all of these different generations and kind of the best practices on on how to get to these individuals and in each generation in a profound way and get the best product or work out of them.
0: That's true. You got to get the best product out of each individual because not everybody's going to perform the same way. And I think we'll end there. That will bring us to the end of this episode. If you have any topics you want us to touch on or discuss, please feel free to email us at policetraining at verizon.net. And thank you very much.
5: This podcast is brought to you by the J. Harris Academy of Police Training. J. Harris Academy of Police Training is based in New Jersey and provides law enforcement training services nationwide for promotional examinations, use of force, supervisory development, and other key areas within law enforcement. This podcast is utilized to discuss key topics occurring within the profession. The opinions and information provided is for entertainment purposes only. In an effort to provide this, we often purposely discuss opposite views and opinions to spark conversation and develop discussion points. The contents of the show and show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, podcasts, and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or or electronic copy for free, only if the J. Harris Academy of Police Training is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is redistributed. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall the J. Harris Academy of Police Training, any guests, contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of the company be responsible for damages arising from the use of the information
4: provided.